What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Sports Card Madness, the podcast that focuses on sports cards, collectibles, the hobby, and everything else in between. For today's episode, we sat down with NBA Hall of Famer Walt Clyde Frazier, probably the greatest Knicks player ever. He shared a ton of great stories with us, everything from some of the the fashion from his era and how he influenced the players of today, and also what it was like to play on those teams back then and play in Madison Square Garden. You guys will not want to miss this one. It was amazing. Let's go. Kick is on the way, and it is All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Sports Card Madness. Today, we have an incredible guest, um, one that needs no introduction. Walt Clyde Frazier, an NBA Hall of Famer, seven-time All-Star, two-time champion, NBA Top 50 and Top 75. I could probably go on and on <laughs> with you, all your accolades. You forgot, but... you forgot the greatest Nick of all time. Oh, I like that one. I like that one. <laughs> and best dressed, Nick, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Definitely best uh, dressed. Um Clyde, welcome to uh the podcast. Thanks for thanks for coming on with us. Oh, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Excellent. So the first the first question I had for you is how did you get the nickname Clyde? I honestly don't know. From the movie Bonnie and Clyde. Uh-huh. Oh. Faye Donaway and Warren Beatty. Mm-hmm. Okay. What happened when I was a rookie? I wasn't playing well. So to pacify myself, I always went shopping. So I go back to my room and dress up. Say, I'm not playing good, but I still look good. <laughs> so, <laughs> so one day I bought this wide-brimmed hat. It was in Baltimore. And like today, they were wearing a narrow brim. So the first time I wore the hat, everybody laughed at me, but I, you know, I main steadfast and that I look good in it. Two weeks later, the movie Bunny and Clyde came out. And then I walk in the locker room and they go, hey, look at Clyde. You know, it was symbolic too of my, I used to steal the ball on the court. So uh, that name has been my my fashion image, uh, my endorsements, my commercials. And obviously over 50 years now, Clyde has been uh, relevant. Wow. Wow. That's, that's great. So it it sound you definitely kind of owned that nickname then because I wanted to talk to you about your fashion right so was that the point where you're like all right I'm gonna own this kind of fashion part of my kind of brand or did fashion start kind of before that for you? Yeah, before that, ironically, okay. I was I was dressing good, but I wasn't playing good, so no one <laughs> really focused on it. Okay, so once I started to play good. <clears throat> they started focusing. Oh, this guy Clyde wearing alligator shoes, and and I see on your wall you have a picture of Muhammad Ali. I remember the <laughs> Frazier Ali fight. I broke out my mink coat, had the Clyde hat on coming into the fight, man. So that was very historic, <laughs> uh, very very historic. Even all the celebrities that was there, but being in New York, the mecca for everything, mm. and and when we played, we always wore suits and ties to the game. Because our our idols were the Temptations, the Four Tops, the Miracles. When they performed, they wore suits and ties. 
like today, these guys, uh, the NBA athletes and the sports guys, they idolize the rappers. So you see, they dress more like the rappers dress. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's been that type of scenario with basketball. Basketball has always had the rhythm into fashion, styling, individuality when you get on the court. So it's been around for a long time. That's that's great. I have a follow-up to that, actually. So with it being such an important part of, of who you are, you know, you mentioned kind of later on with endorsements and, you know, after your career, what, what, what else have you done with fashion? Have you turned it into any businesses? I'm, I'm just curious, maybe after your playing career, maybe what you did with fashion. Well, during my career, I had a lot of different endorsements. Yeah. That's how I got into the furs. There was a furry called Ben Khan. Uh, it was 1968, 69. He gave Willis Reed and I, uh, seal skin coats for just taking a picture with him so from there i i, I gravitated to the meat coat the meat bag spread the rose royce <laughs> but actually i was just being myself you know i was mm -hmm. 21 22 years old in the greatest city in the world the knicks were starting to captivate the city so i was going out all the time just being i i never like guys do today i never had an entourage where i sit down with my advisors and say Okay, Clyde, I want you to go out tonight and do this and do this. I was just being myself. When I went out, I dressed the way I thought. No one was guiding me. I always say I'm like the Egyptians. I had no one to copy. I was setting the style. You know, like now, like uh, LeBron had Michael Jordan to copy. All he had to do was go by the blueprint from what Michael did to get where he was, and he did with Nike. But when I was doing it, that was, who was I copying? I wasn't copying nobody. I was the first guy with the Rolls Royce. In the NBA, I was the first guy with all the meat coats. Joe Namath was doing it a little bit. You know, Joe had the first shoe at one time. But uh, so it was just a lot of serendipity, having fun, being young and in, in the greatest city in the world. Well, compliments to you for becoming a, a, a trendsetter all on your own without your manager's help. I mean, kudos. Kudos to you for doing but it The other thing own. about being dressed properly, hmm. I grew up under the impression of segregation. So I'm the oldest of nine kids, and my mother was always telling me, Walt, you have to set an example. So wherever I went, you're not only representing Frasers, but you're representing Black people as well. So when I went downtown, I got to dress my, put on your Sunday best, man, your best manners. So that's how I was raised, and I'm hearing that from my coaches, my teachers, my grandparents, everybody's instilling that in me. So I still know that when I step out, I'm not only representing Frazier, but black people as well, man. That's great. That is amazing. Um, I bet you still have some of those coats too. I'm sure somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I still have the meat coats, man. Yeah. I have uh, <laughs> I have a, a black llama and a white one, and I have a raccoon like down to my ankles. <laughs> so, wow, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, almost uh, almost 50 years those coats have survived. Wow, amazing. <laughs> So um, one of the uh, one of the things we cover on this show, we talk about collectibles a lot. We talk about cards a lot. And I'm holding up a card here. This is your 1969 Topps rookie card. You actually signed this for me when you were in Massachusetts. Um, I just wanted to know, what was it like for you to be on a card for the first time? Like, what was that? What was that like? Ironically, there was no significance. 
It was just something, you know, that the NBA was coming up with. You see, we had to wear our jerseys backwards. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'll put it back up on the screen. Yeah, right. We couldn't do the New York thing. So it was just like, hey, man, it, it was it was like when I was Clyde. I never thought I was setting a trend of, of anything, mm-hmm. you know, with the cars, with the clothes, or with the, what I was doing that 50 years later, <laughs> we were here be embellishing that that image that was projected at that time, you know. So uh, it's, it's a blessing. It's something that keeps me humble. And uh, if you ever come to the garden, there's one autograph and a picture you're bound to get, man. It's Walt Frazier. Because I, I know is I'm, I'm a blessed person. I'm very lucky to be in this position. That's great. I, I actually was also, if we go back to that card, I was at that Massachusetts signing too. And um you had you had explained to me when I got up and, and and met you and you signed my card. You explained to me that that um, you were wearing the jerseys backwards, and I thought it was just such a cool story. And I said to Nick, "I'm like, oh, we have to ask Clyde this question. We have uh-huh. to ask." And what, what was why did you guys do that? What's the what was the backstory on why you guys turned all your jerseys around? Well, the team told us we could not display New York. Mm. So there would have been a fine or whatever. They wouldn't have been able to to, to take the picture. <clears throat> you know, the other significance, guys, what about me being the first guy to endorse a sneaker? Okay, the Puma Clyde. You know, someone from Puma approached me after the 73 championship uh, and asked me what I want to endorse the shoe, man. It was, it was heavy. It was clunky. I told them, no, man, if you paid me, I couldn't wear that shoe. They go, no, we want you to help us design it. So I made it lighter. I made it more flexible. And they came out in suede, which was, un- that was a aberration at the time. So they came out, I think, with red, with the white stripe, and blue with white stripes. And that shoe was so popular, man. Just in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, we didn't need the rest of the country. They could not keep them in the store. They were so hot, man. And, uh, you know, when I look back on that, being the first guy at that time, see, I thought there was no significance that I got my shoe, except the guys were all jealous of me. You know, they'd be, oh, you think you're something now, huh? You got your own shoe, huh? (laughs) Got your name on it, huh? (laughs) But uh, other than that, you know, I really wasn't gloating about, hey, I'm setting the trend. I'm the first guy to do this. It was very insignificant. Just something that was another day at the office, you know, that I was doing. Wow, that's that's wild. Do you do you recall the first time like walking around New York and seeing somebody wearing your shoe? Or do you have like a story like that where it was just like a aha moment for you? Like, oh, wow, that kid's wearing my shoe. Yeah, well, what happened was later on, the rappers started to wear the oh. Clyde. The rappers, they didn't know why, you know, they went in the store. They want to give me the Clyde. They didn't know why they were saying Clyde, but I was the guy. <laughs> So that's why I've survived with Puma for almost 40 or 50 years because the rappers brought me back after I retired and then the retro crave came. They had to bring me back. <laughs> and then like now Jay-Z is a big part of the company and they were embellishing the future of the shoe. Someone who, you know, and I was that guy, man. They came to me. Actually, they gave me a lifetime contract about three or four years ago. For, for being with Puma, man. I thought I was really overwhelmed by that gesture that they appreciated what I did. And one time I went to to Germany where the, where the company's located and the people didn't know I was coming. They had all their customers there from all over the world. So 
the 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 president of the company came up. So we got a big surprise for you guys tonight. This guy was a guy, former man. I walked on the stage. Everybody gave me a standing ovation, man. Wow. I got the goosebumps that I got was like we won the championship twice, man. You know, and these people never saw me play. They just said heard about me and what I'd done for the shoe. It, it, it was incredible. It, it was an incredible moment for me wow. to, to realize that. That's beautiful. I can't imagine there's too many people that actually have lifetime sneak shoe deals. Like, I'm pretty sure LeBron does. I'm, oh, we know Jordan does. I, I didn't know that you did. I, I, yeah. yeah. Yeah, That that's a special... That is a rare... Rare air right there. Like, bravo. <laughs> that's that's amazing. Yeah, I can't uh, imagine there's many of them. Wow. Yeah, it's about three or four of us. You yeah, know, congratulations. Like, yeah, and I paved the way, so. You did. Yeah, all yeah, those big shoe deals now, they should thank you. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> they should send me 10%, man. <laughs> I agree. I agree with you. <laughs> it's funny, too, that that kind of leads into my next question, you know, I don't know if you've noticed, I know you obviously, you sign a lot of autographs, but the card values have really spiked in the last few years. So again, I'll put this 1969 card up on the screen again. This card in July of this year in mint condition sold for $252,000 at auction. I'm not making that up. Um, what do you think of that? Is that like just... I think of my grandfather used to tell me you're worth more dead than alive. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> you go to the fifty-two thousand dollars, man. Yeah. Oh, come on, yes. man. That's 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 uh, magnificent. I mean, the things that have happened with the the sports industry, especially with the cards. Obviously, mm. I do a lot of card signings and stuff. So I I really like meeting and greeting the people, being a, a positive role model. I had so many when I came to the Knicks. Willis Reed was my idol. He taught me about tenacity on the court and uh, altruism off the court, mingling with the fans. Uh, Bill Bradley personified the student athlete. Dick Barnett, a guy who was nine years older than me, but his locker was adjacent to my locker, man. And I used to watch this guy. He didn't smoke. He didn't drink. You know, where his whole life was basketball. Hmm. <clears throat> so that really had a tremendous impact on me. The great Red Holtzman, our coach. So I was in a, the right situation at the right time being on the New York Knicks. Yeah, that's amazing. That's great. Um, it, yeah, just going back to the, the piece around kind of you wanting to kind of set an example and be the, be that person to kind of you know, interact with fans. I mean, you've been doing it for a long time. Like again, me and Nick saw you in Massachusetts uh, less than a year ago and, you know, very friendly. I, I saw you talking to everybody who came up to you. It's just, um, you know, I just thank you. I mean, it means a lot. Me and Nick talk a lot in this collectible space about how part of it is certainly the cards that Nick held up and, and, and showed you. But the other part of it is, it's the experiences, which is wh which is what you, when you just described that, is giving giving these fans. It's something for them to remember and bring their kids to, and um, it's just great that that you can be part of that and you can create those moments for those people. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, thanks. I, I I love kids. I told you I'm the oldest of nine, and mm. I tell people when you grow up in a scenario like that, you either like kids or you hate them. <laughs> <laughs> I've always had an affinity for kids. The kids have been my most ardent supporters, guys. 
why was I the first guy to, to endorse a sneaker? The kids, hey, mom, I want to be like Clyde, you know. And at this time, sneakers maybe ten dollars. Not Clyde's a twenty son. They're like, who is this guy, Clyde? <laughs> for a pair of shoes, right? Yeah. I've done eight books. Why? Because of the kids. It's people supporting me. Hey, man, I've been retired over forty years. I still do Walt Frazier basketball camps. Wow! <laughs> Can you imagine That's kids? Kids between the ages of 11 and 16 still come into my camp, man, wearing my jersey. But it's so ironic. The first day that they come, everybody's calling me Clyde. Hey, Clyde, 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 Clyde. So I tell them, hey, man, I'm going to be here every day. You know, we'll designate a day when I sign autographs for you. You can get two autographs or more or whatever. I said, I'm going to watch you play. I'm going to be around. Because a lot of guys use their name. They might show up the mm. first day or the last day. So at the end of the camp, the revelation is everybody's calling me Mr. Frazier out of respect mm. because I promised them something and I did it. So nobody's calling me Clyde the last day. They're coming up, oh, Mr. Frazier, thank you for this. Mr. Frazier, thank you. Out of respect, man. So, but like I said, I love kids. Okay, I had Walt Frazier restaurant. I don't know if you guys heard about Clyde's Wine and Dine. Mm -hmm. So I had that on 10th Avenue and uh, 36th Street. It was a block, a whole block, 36 and 37. We had a basketball hoop in there. It was a sports bar. So I really enjoyed meeting and greeting the people. The kids would come in looking for Clyde. We did a lot of birthday parties. and But I tell people, you can't do this for the money. You know, you got to like people, man, because after a while you do it for the money, you're going to tell me, hey, man, get away from me. They can sense that. But they can see with me is genuine that, hey, man, I come up to people. I don't care. I'm talking to them all the time until they leave. I, I really enjoy it, especially now that I'm not playing because I don't have to focus on the game anymore. You know, this is my thing. And in New York, when you go out, if you're a celebrity, there's no privacy, man. I don't care where you go. New Yorkers are going to approach you. So when I can't handle that, I stay home. You know, whatever I have to be rude with somebody that I know, because I know how New Yorkers are. They are very aggressive. And that's why I like them, man. They're the most passionate fans ever. Second most passionate fans ever. <laughs> Boston are the most passionate. <laughs> um that I didn't know that about the the restaurant. What did you did you have any or did you have any memorabilia maybe from you? Like your sneakers or um, jerseys in that, in that restaurant. And then, you know, take it even further. Like, do you still, do you hang on to some of kind of those old memorabilia for some memories from the past? Yeah. Like trophies, Ironically, basketballs. Trophies. Yeah. I have some of my trophies, you know, at my mom's house, but in the restaurant, we had huge pictures of me, like action shots of me, some of my teammates, you know, some with Russell, me going around Russell and have a check laying it up. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, throughout the restaurant, there were some huge pictures in there of myself. So what happened during COVID, you know, everything went awry for us, man. We've been around for 10 years. We had the place going for 10 years. So it was very devastating. Even now, sometimes inadvertently, I'm in a taxi or something and I'm not noticing and they might go that way. My heart, man, drops. Mm. You know, when, when I see the place, man, there was so much fun there, so many profound memories. But 
you know, maybe we, I might get another one going sometime soon. I don't know. Yeah, I was just going to follow up there. So, yeah, you think maybe try to work something else out? Yeah. Would you yeah, do it in New York? To... Yeah, in New York again? Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that would be great. Amazing. So, and I still kind of get that now with the Knicks, you know, being a Nick announcer. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm I'm doing a, a lot of the games, and and I hear kids telling their father, "Dad, there's a Nick announcer." <laughs> so they don't know he's the ball player. There, there's there's a guy with the crazy suits. Dad, yeah. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> so, well, what was it like to play? Was Madison Square Garden like this? this crazy place to play like that's electric that we think of it now was it like that when you were playing or was it kind of starting when you played? the old garden was worse ah because the old garden was built for hockey so the people were right on top of you mm-hmm. you know they could ball up a paper cup and throw it on out on the floor oh. with eighteen thousand or some people there man and then when you left the court you had to walk through the crowd oh They'd be on both sides of the wall saying, you bums, you, you know, if you're losing, man, they're cursing you out. I, it was like being in a Roman Coliseum, man. I, I was, I never saw anything like that until I played in the NIT. You know, I played in the NIT. That was my catapult to, to, to the fame because I was the MVP of mm-hmm. the NIT 1967. But that was my first foray into New York or Madison Square Garden. My memory of Madison Square Garden was Friday night sitting with my father and grandfather watching fights from live from Madison Square Garden, Sugar Ray Robinson and those guys. Yeah, right. So that's what I remember growing up as Madison Square Garden, not basketball, but boxing. So now playing there, man, but the fans were so invigorating. 18,500 people were there every day for that uh, NIT. So, uh, when I got drafted to the Knicks, I was really elated, you know, being in that city, uh, the people, everything, like I say, the Mecca for everything that you want to do. Mm-hmm. And you've been an announcer for how many years with them? I can't believe like 32 or 33 wow. years. Wow. Wow. So that, that is. I never, I never anticipated I stumbled into it. Mm. 1987, I was inducted to the Basketball Hall of Fame. I was doing a series of interviews and the Knicks approached me about perhaps doing some radio or TV. And and I used to do a pregame, halftime, postgame show. And then I moved to the radio and then I finally moved to TV. But I knew from the first time I did a game, guys, I like this. Yeah. Regardless of what type of day I've had, I'm oblivious. Once I put the headphones on, I'm just focused on the game. Man. Just I, locked in. That's so yeah, cool. I, I, like to, I like to do it, and uh, I still enjoy it. I get psyched up for every game. That's beautiful. To the story around you, your father, your your grandfather, all of you watching when you were a kid, to then play there, and now thirty plus years of announcing there. That that's that's your second home, the Garden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking for a lifetime contract from the Knicks. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> There's a couple of things we need to get done for you with this with this episode. We got to get you a lifetime contract with the Knicks. I got to get to write a list down here. Oh, that's funny. Um, so we always ask kind of one one final question because we really appreciate the time, right? I we we do kind of always at the end want to ask our guests one one question, and that question is you've probably answered it before. It's the kind of coffee question. If you could have coffee or a dinner with 
any sports figure, living or deceased, who would that person be for you? If I could have dinner with any sports figure, probably Ali. It was sim. I almost had dinner with him in. Uh, you know, I remember I met him in Atlanta when he was Louisville lipped. <laughs> so he was in this room and he didn't shut up for hours, man. He talked the whole time. <laughs> so I thought he was a phenomenal guy and the sacrifices that he made, giving up his career for what he believed in. Not many people are willing to do that. And uh, he gained a lot of stuff for black people and uh, just people in general as well, giving back. So I thought he was an extraordinary person that I really like to talk to. That's that's beautiful. We have not heard Ali yet. That's great. He 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 had an incredible impact. You're you're absolutely right. There's been some other great figures that people have brought up, but Ali, that's that's wonderful. Great. Well, well, thank you very much. And for you know, I had oh. Bill Russell. I had Russell. Russell was a a terrific person. What he mm -hmm. did, first coach, black coach. Uh, uh, the things that he brought to the game for us, the sacrifices, Oscar Robertson. I just played a time when it was, like I said, these positive role models were everywhere. I remember my All-Star game. That I was a seven-time All-Star. I, If you saw me in the locker room, I was like a moot. I said nothing. I was I was like flabbergasted, amazed, looking at Oscar Robertson, Jerry West, all these guys, and I'm just sitting listening, keeping my mouth shut. Like they used to tell us when we grew up, kids are seen and not heard, right? I didn't say a <laughs> word, man. I just watched these guys, and how they carried and conducted themselves. And, uh, you know, I owed, them, I owed them so much, man, as well as the village that raised me in Atlanta, consisting of my parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, my teachers, my coaches, a lot of my peers. When I was growing up, guys, I was a precocious ball player. Like when I'm in the fourth or fifth grade, I'm playing against seventh and eighth grade. So I was a good shooter. This is how I learned to shoot under pressure. On the court, the guys would put me in the game for nickels and tell me, you better not lose. I'm going to kick your butt. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so they, they put me up. I have to shoot for them because I was a good shooter. Hey, you, yeah, you uh, learned fast. I learned, yeah. yeah, I learned to shoot under pressure <laughs> early on. <man. laughs> Oh. But they never let me smoke. My peers never let me smoke when they were gambling. And those were bad things at that time, right? Smoking a cigarette was terrible mm. back in the 50s, 60s. Gambling, drinking. They never allowed me to do any of that. When they were doing that on the playground, they ran me home. Go ahead, you you know, you can't do this. Go home. They they never encouraged me to do the negative things, just the positive things. That's amazing. You know, I, I just think of you've been a positive role model for decades now, right? In different phases of your career as a, as a player, as an advocate for the league, and now as an announcer. Um, it's just great. So, you know, thank you for being so accessible to all of us and, and setting such a great example, you know, as a, as a player, especially, you know, such a great Hall of Famer that you are. So it's just amazing. No, like, like I say, guys, you guys, it's humbling. Wherever I go, people respect me. And we know you can't buy respect. <laughs> you sure can't not. buy respect, you know, especially since I haven't mm -hmm. played in over 40 something years. If you walk in New York with me right now, you think I'm on the team. <laughs> the way people <laughs> approach me, they want my autograph, they're talking to me. You you think I'm on the team, man. Mm -hmm. Another revelation for me is doing cameos. You guys know what cameos are? 
Sure. Sure. Yes. Mm -hmm. Man, do you know people 90 years old? I do them for people that are 90 years old. Cameos. Yeah. 92. I think I just did one for a guy who was 93 years old. Wow. Still following the Knicks. Like my style. Remember when we played. So (laughs) that's just incredible, man. You know, like to be doing that and people still admire and respect you what you're doing it's just you're, phenomenal you're touching many different generations that's incredible for sure that's and i wish some time. of the players today would realize that they do that more too mm-hmm. with their antics on the court the things they say the way they react you know they're positive people are looking at them they're mm-hmm. role models so they could do better and that's one thing on our team we never embarrass the fans willis reed bill Rat bradley david busher barnett Nobody. We never embarrassed our fans being drunk or doing out of, out of control. We were always cognizant of that, man, being a positive role model, giving back. We know people are watching us, following us. So you know, it was a pleasure to do that. Well, well, thank you very much for your time. I know we were joking before you hopped on that you should have worn uh, your championship ring, <laughs> the one that Russell didn't get. So um, <laughs> that was pretty. That was pretty funny. Ironically, Russell retired the sixty nine seventy season. That's <laughs> right. That's our first one, right? <laughs> so funny. I used to always see Bill. I go, "Thank you, Bill. Thanks, man." <laughs> yeah. Perfect timing. Excellent. <laughs> Um, well, Mr. Frazier, thank you for joining today. Mm-hmm. We really appreciate your time. Um, you opened up a lot more and shared a lot more than than we could have ever hoped. You know, we really love these stories. That thank you very much. Yeah. All right, guys. It. So you know, I'm I'm in the St. Croix USVI. This is this is my rejuvenator from New York. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So yeah. I come here the fresh air. I get psyched up to come back to New York and deal with the city. But here's just farmland. I never go out. I do my own cooking. I have a swimming pool. I have a gym. I work out. Uh, do my yoga stretches. Uh, exercise. Uh, I'm into gardening here. I have indigenous plants and trees. So mm. if you come here and say, this, you know this guy, Walt Frazier, they go, yeah, he's always, he's a gardener. He's always in his yard. I'm always <laughs> out of my yard. Plants. So this is the other side of Clyde that people don't know. But if you guys ever get a chance, want to try something down in St. Croix, let me know, man. I oh, was boy. just going to say it. We're going to do a part two, and me and Nick are going to we're, yeah. we're going to come visit. You don't have to come tell us down. twice. All right. <laughs> we know the Boston and New York winters, so, um, yeah, we're happy to uh, to get out of here for a little while. Uh, all right. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you, Walt. Thank you for your time. Um, we appreciate it. Okay, guys. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for another episode of Sports Card Madness. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Walt Clyde Frazier. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify. We even have a YouTube channel. So please subscribe, and we will keep episodes like this coming. Thanks, everyone.